powder, so my walk with nothing. No one guy can stop the chorus. Remember Bob Marley was the focus. Long life in my friends are porous. Loop, vampire fear, I get nervous. They don't make them drain my energy. Right, guys well thanks for tuning in to another episode of the sample hour i'm drew sample or at drew sample i'm wes sample i'm at clever wes and we have a very special guest today um mr todd mccormick um at hemp xxx how you doing today todd i'm doing really well guys uh thanks for having me on your podcast thanks very much for joining us uh thanks for, for getting out of your uh, busy schedule and sitting down and you know really me personally uh, i've been a huge fan of yours for years and it's kind of that that moment where you meet one of your heroes <laughs> well that's really nice guys i mean i really appreciate you saying that i mean i don't feel like a hero i just kind of feel like one of the people that just got fed up with taking the oppression and supposedly liking it and what really thrust me into this was nothing heroic really it was when I was a little boy going through chemotherapy, the doctors pulled me aside one day and asked me to talk to one of the kids that were was going through the same medication, which was called methyltrexate, that I was taking. And um, when they walked me over to the area he was in, they asked me, basically, they were briefing me on the things that I could talk to him about. And they told me, don't mention to him that, you smoke it, that you're smoking marijuana. And I remember stopping in my tracks and saying, so you want me to lie to him? And as soon as I said that, the doctor looked at me and goes, okay, so this isn't going to work. And he walked me back to my mom. And it was an eerie feeling because, you know, when you ask that question that they don't want to answer honestly, and it was true. They wanted me to lie to them. And it bothered me to my soul. It really did. And it's what got me interested in learning about what had helped me so much and got me on the path of marijuana activism. That's uh, that's powerful, man. I so how old were you at the time when they asked you to lie to another person? Pretty when I was a little boy? Well, you know, it was funny because uh, I was only nine when I started using medical cannabis with my mom. But at the time, I, it was the ninth time I had uh, cancer. So it was at my mom's wit's end, if you will. I had already had it in my spine, my skull, my right ear, my left hip. And now I had gotten it between my left lung and my heart. And they were concerned that because it was near soft tissue that I would uh, I would die. And my mom had been reading magazines in the waiting rooms, and she read a magazine of all radical publications. She read Good Housekeeping, and she read an article about how medical marijuana was being used for cancer patients. And she went and talked to my doctors about it. And it's really interesting because being the skeptic that I am about everything, when I first heard her say that to me, I thought, oh, come on. So I did a search, and don't you know the February 78 issue of Good Housekeeping has an article about medical marijuana and cancer patients in the doctor's column, no less. And uh, I have a copy of it still now. I actually bought it online, and it's amazing how, you know, just what you're doing right now, a little bit of influence can go a long way. I'm, I'm sure that the people at Good Housekeeping never imagined that they were going to birth a marijuana activist out of a little, you know, two-paragraph <laughs> statement about medical marijuana but it caused my mom to look at it seriously and my doctors felt like I had nothing to lose because it was a reoccurring disease and here it was in a very precarious place so my mom went for it she uh and it helped me considerably and I was probably around 10 or 11 when they because uh, we were already having very beneficial effects from my uh, return to eating and feeling better and it would help with my nausea and it would help with my sleep and I think all of those things taken in together in consideration are really powerful when it comes to trying to heal because you need to eat you need to sleep you need to stress less and you need to have a better attitude and cannabis helps with all those things so it sounds like it really improved your quality of life tremendously at that point as well. Oh, you know, it's hard to really emphasize how much it helped me because anyone going through cancer and, and going through chemotherapy, you know, it doesn't have to be cancer. Chemo is used in multiple diseases, but 
they know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a moment when I was a little kid, I was like eight, seven, seven, I think. And I, I wasn't too good with authority. I, I, I was irreverent towards them. I, I didn't figure authority mattered. I was, I was a difficult child. And, um, my, <laughs> my stepdad one day, who was this big six foot five biker, you know, tattoos to his wrist and long hair, he's trying to get me to take my chemo and I won't do it. And, uh, he finally says, look, you take it, I'll take it. And my mom's like, I wouldn't do that. And he was like, fuck all the drugs I put in my body. You're going to tell me this little kid who's sick, he can he can take this pill and he's, he's going to be okay. And I can't take it. I'm not going to be okay. Fuck that shit. Come on, kid. You you want you do it, I'll do it. And I looked at him and I went, really? Go get the pill. <laughs> <laughs> and he, we got the pills and we were over the coffee table and we tanked like tabs like and – and it was like the first time I ever drug, done drugs with anybody now that I really think about it. But <laughs> and it, my, my mom was standing there like, oh, God. And we both took that chemo. And I knew it was going to happen. So I basically got up and started going to the bathroom. So I made it to the sink. But frick him. He got the toilet. And uh, he wrenched so hard. And when my mom walked into the bathroom, she was astounded. And she was like, Mike, is it because because he's heaving and crying, heaving and crying. And she's like, is it that bad? And he barely had words for her. And when we both stopped puking, he gave me a hug and just held me on the bathroom floor, crying his freaking big ass biker eyes out. And there you have it. I mean, it, it blew my mind. He was laying, saying to me, oh, I'm never going to make you do it again. My mom's like, don't make promises, Mike. Jesus Christ. You know, like, but that's, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it is crazy, and it's true. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people that try to stop people from using something that benefits, it's like, really, you get fucking sick, you yeah. know? And, and let's see how you feel. Or let's give this to your mom. Or let's give this to your grandmother and see her suffering. And then you're going to be some fucking hypocrite and say, no, ma, take take this, this man-made pill that has a variety of side effects, but stay away from that God-given herb. And I'm just tired of it. And that's probably what got me so angry and adamantly opposed to uh, the stupid laws that have held us back for so long. Because when you stop and look at cannabis history, it has been legal, not just legal. It has been an asset to humanity for way longer than it has ever been a scourge. You know, uh, so I think people don't really realize that. I don't think people sometimes take in or, or comprehend the fact that, you know, we all celebrate Columbus Day, but where would Columbus have been without cannabis? Yeah. He wouldn't have left Europe. Yeah, no no ship sails, no ropes, no riggings, no clothes, no maps, no bibles, nothing. No no paints, no oils, no sealant. You know, do you know what the stuff is called when they twist together fibers and they stick it in the hulls to to keep the water out? No, what's it called? Well, it's it's called oakum, and oakum is only made out of t matted hemp fibers that they used to then shellac with hemp seed oil, and that was the hulls of the ships that that he sailed in. That's, if you go look up the word oakum, you'll see it says hemp fibers matted together between the planks to hold the ship. So that's make them buoyant. Yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, I, I I got a chance to talk to you a little bit yesterday, and I mean, like, you, like something that I, I mean, whenever I hear you on a podcast, what I love to listen about is just like your, just it's like just fountains of knowledge about the history about cannabis that we like just growing up in school about how much we're lied to about it, and right. I and I think it's just interesting. Um, if you wouldn't mind expanding more on like just the history of just how our presidents who founded this country and wrote the Constitution used it and everything else like that, just for our listeners who well, haven't heard well, that. Well, let me encapsulate it like this for you. I mean, when you con when you contemplate what was happening on this continent prior to 1492, we had uh, nomadic people wearing leather, uh, chasing animals, uh, carving on caves with rocks. Okay, and at the exact same time, no disrespect to my Native American brothers and sisters, but at the same time, Europe had paper, which was invented in China using hemp and mulberry. They had clothes, they had art, they had paints and varnishes, which were hemp seed oil mixed with various dyes and pigments that they could find because we didn't have petrochemical oils. When I first handed hemp seed oil to my grandmother, who was born in 1911, the first thing she said is, wow, that's what paint smelled like when I was a little girl. And I said, right, grandma, because when you're a little girl, there were no petrochemicals widely available in the hardware stores. And when Columbus arrived in North America on his ship that was basically blown across the Atlantic Ocean with canvas, which canvas is a, 
is is a cognate of the word cannabis, meaning that it is derived from the word cannabis because all canvas came from cannabis. And when his sails and his ropes and his riggings and everything got him to this country, he found a plant that he did not know existed and he could not find a plant that was thriving all over Europe and Asia. Do you guys know what those two plants are? No, what are they? Well, he found tobacco. Tobacco at the time was unknown by the rest of the world. And when you see all of these hookahs depicted in, you know, various, you know, Arabic culture, well, (laughs) prior to 1492, there was no tobacco to pack in that hookah. That was hashish. That's crazy. Because when you think about the history of tobacco, it didn't make it to Europe until 1493. So, intriguing. And what he couldn't find was hemp. And one of the reasons I would argue that the Native Americans did not have the ability to invent paper, to invent cloth fiber, to invent the paints and varnishes and the ropes and riggings that the Europeans used to come conquer them was because they didn't have the one natural ingredient, the hemp plant, that was used by Europe to make these things. So cannabis is responsible for the cultural evolution of humanity if you feel that paper aided in the cultural evolution of humanity or clothing or paints or varnishes or any of the myriad of uses cannabis had before we had, say, a cotton gin. I mean, when we arrived here in North America in 1492, we started slavery in 1619. And the reason was is because without hemp growing indigenously, it was really, really hard to deal with. And Uh, It was really hard to grow and break and clear the land and everything. And the first uh, slaves that came in 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia, were accompanied by the first mandatory cultivation law for cannabis hemp. And the reason it was mandatory is because there was like a somewhat of a gold rush to the North American continent because people knew they could come find tobacco and sell it, make money. And... The problem was is that they still needed when they got here ropes and riggings and cloth and sails and clothing and blankets and towels and everything else that was a necessity that was made out of fiber. And hemp was for the next almost 300 years when you think about this, 1600 to what year was the cotton gin invented? 1793? It was patented, I think. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, so so there was no cotton, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, and those those slaves were breaking hemp, and um, that is what we used to build this country up, and we needed to be able to get it here because with the think of the economics, they would trade the tobacco for money, and then they would immediately have to use the money to buy the materials that they couldn't, they didn't have here. So that meant that they were bringing hemp over and trading it for tobacco, and then by the time the trade was over, they were still broke in North America. So what they really needed to do is grow their hemp here so they didn't need it and they could be paid for the tobacco. When did um, – you know I mean? yeah, absolutely. When did we ever start growing hemp? Like when did that – like hemp did, started growing immediately because you got to realize the sailors back in those days were in a situation where they had to set sail with barrels full of seeds because if they didn't and they were at a crash, what would happen, of course, is that they wouldn't have uh, not just – see, this is there's two elements here. They didn't want to just risk it and make sure, well, hopefully there's hemp growing. They wanted to have enough seeds that they could grow enough hemp so that they could make enough fiber and enough rope so that they could get out of Dodge and get back home. So – Bringing the seeds was an uh, was an essential element of basically being able to save yourself in the element of a shipwreck. Yeah, that makes perfect pretty heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Sense. Absolutely. Right. And sativa, when you look at the word sativa, it's a Latin word and it means so widely or most useful. Jack used to tell me, and um, it, now it's interesting because uh, – a good friend of mine, his name is Robert Clark. He wrote the book Marijuana, Botany, and Hashish. And he has a new book coming out about the taxonomy and the uh, botanical evolution of cannabis. And his speech at the High Times Cannabis Cup this last uh, event in November was that nobody smokes sativa, that we have been wrongly calling um, our drug varieties sativa through basically lack of knowledge. The truth of the matter is, is that they're all 
Indica, which means, if you look up the word Indica, of or like India. Because even back in the day, India was the original cannabis culture with the Hindu Kush mountains in the north and the Himalayan mountains in the northeast and it going all the way down to the southern tip of uh, India, which like around Goa, which is purely tropical, you have a full range of drug varieties. And drug varieties, uh, as we can call them, come in both broadleaf and narrowleaf varieties. And when we call a cannabis sativa, what we're really trying to say is that it's, it's more from near the equator. Um, but when you look at most of the commercial cannabis that's being grown, most of it is under 10 weeks. Uh, are definitely under 11 weeks at maximum in flower time. And the truth of the matter is that some varieties of cannabis will flower for up to 16 weeks. Um, and the reason is is because more tropical varieties that had to acclimate to the, uh, the tropics had to like learn how to grow and flower simultaneously because they wake up into a 12-12 photo period. That's and a- this is also why that tropical stuff is like loose and spindly and not tight, dense buds like we all think we want. Because the the tight, dense buds basically just represent that it came from a cold climate because that's what the plant would do to protect itself uh, from the frost. That's interesting. But but the opposite is what would happen in the tropics. The the flower would have to develop a loose, spindly flower so that it could uh, dissipate moisture because if it rains every day and moisture gets trapped into the growth, it molds. And now what we're seeing in places like Jamaica and Maui and other tropical paradises is all these people bringing these high, you know, complex hybrids to the island thinking they're going to grow some killer weed in a killer environment. All they're doing is getting moldy little buds that make it to two feet high, start flowering, and then mold up because much moisture gets trapped inside of the cola and you don't see it on the outside. That's interesting because everybody thinks when they go to Jamaica that it's like they're getting like premium bud. So is that – is that necess- is that really not the case? I'll tell you man, I mean, sadly there hasn't there wasn't really a consciousness of preserving their own genetics and you know, a good the, the same friend Robert Clark who wrote Marijuana Botany and Ashish informed me that you know, you can't get, you know, he used to call it two sativa, but you can't get truly Jamaican uh, original Jamaican land race there anymore because what has happened is is that so many people have brought in so many constraints that Growers stopped growing their old seed stock because they thought they were making an improvement by growing this, you know, new hybrid, going to make them more money, going to have bigger yields, going to have more resin. And all they've done is really moved away from their indigenous varieties. And I say that sadly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting. Um, it's kind of like the dodo stuff. Uh, people comes up and they crush them, not experience, not knowing what they're doing. Correct. And now, you know, there's some great things, though. There's a there's a company called Greenhouse Seeds, and they're awesome, and they're uh, based out of Amsterdam. And they, realizing the significance of the genetics, they started a, a group called Strain Hunters, and they have basically been going around the world now trying to collect indigenous races, not because they're better than the hybrids we have available, but because they're they're crucial breeding stock that can be used to do even more than we already have now. It's kind of cool. And uh, and the fact that they've actually, you know, realized how sacred a seed this is, is it's, it's quite enlightened. Now, uh, with all the hybrids and everything that are out, do you have a, a personal favorite for one that you prefer more than others to deal with I pain? and? Well, you know, for everybody's different. I mean, yeah. it's hard for me to, uh, you know, because if you and I both have headaches and we both take an Advil, uh, for instance, and your headache goes away and mine doesn't, does it mean that Advil worked or didn't? <laughs> Fair enough. That makes sense. <laughs> and and we might have very different examples, if you would, of our, um, you know, chemistry and, and how we – so I personally, my chemistry likes what uh, we call haze. Haze is also what in in the catalogs people see it referred to as a sativa. Um, A lot of times it's a longer flowering variety, and I feel that it's more of a pick-me-up. I would say that if you look at the cannabis culture in the 50s and 60s, a lot of what was coming into America was um, tropical. It was coming from Vietnam and Laos and, you know, Hawaii, Maui Waui, Jamaican, Colombian, Michoacan, Acapulco Gold, like all these old school strains are actually 
um, tropical places. And when the hippies went to Afghanistan in the 70s, um, they found this fat, short plant that must have been indica, they thought, and brought it back and started mixing it with all of these tropical varieties from the aforementioned countries that were not finishing in the more northern climates of California, Oregon, Washington. And uh, by by breeding this northern Afghan plant in with, you know, the Thais and the Jamaicans and such, the Mexicans, uh, you got a shorter uh, plant flowering cycle that would finish uh, in the climate like Mendocino, Humboldt, Grants Pass, Oregon, which all became massive marijuana grows. Yeah. Um, and, well... Then I think the energy changed because when you look at what the energy was like from the tropical varieties, which to me is a, a very high energy, it's a very exciting energy, uh, it, it perks me up. It's like a morning coffee right. compared to by the 80s, which became like one hit wonder, like take a hit and you're drooling on your couch, <laughs> not go to a movie. And a lot of that was because the varieties that were quicker and more commercial were more narcotic-like. And I say narcotic-like because, you know, that's what would happen. It would make you more like, bleh. And uh, when I got to Holland in the early 90s and I first discovered what I call haze or what is called haze, and I woke up, it, like, was a pick-me-up, I was blown away. I was really astounded. So I ended up you know, really starting to, you know, experiment with different varieties of haze, and they are among my favorite. And oddly, they have on most of the time more THC than the drug varieties that are more narcotic even though the drug varieties knock you out make you feel tired or you know sleepy or whatever relaxed the other varieties like for instance I grew OG Kush which is famous next to Super Silver Haze which I love when I had them tested because we have labs out here and I can my OG came back at 20.66 THC, and my and it's heavy. I mean, you smoke this stuff, you're stoned, you know. Yeah. yeah. And the the super silver haze came back at 23.7, and when you smoke that stuff, you're super stoned. But it's different. It's not like you feel the like heavy down couch lock that OG gives you. Instead, you feel like, hey, let's clean the house. Hey, let's go hiking. You know. Yes, yes exactly. That's actually one of the and stuff things. So I recommend haze to people. And if we're talking about medicine, I mean, one thing I would mention is that a lot of people now are experimenting with eating it because it's convenient and you don't get in trouble and um, is easily because people don't smell your cookies. Mm -hmm. And when you eat cannabis, it actually um, becomes a more psychoactive substance. Believe it or not, when you eat cannabis, it's it goes through your your kidneys and uh, or your liver, I should say, and uh, it's called the one pass effect. And what happens is it turns the THC into another chemical called 11-hydroxy metabolite or 11-hydroxy. And when 11-hydroxy gets into your blood system, it is two to five times as psychoactive than THC. So a lot of times what happens is people will eat a brownie that has, say, gram of grass in it thinking that they didn't eat that much. And it's way more powerful than they ever experienced, ex expected. And I tell people to be very careful with edibles due to that because it's easy to overdose. And when you get 11-hydroxy into your bloodstream, it's not even the same as THC. So it's like having a different drug in your body. Yeah, then they start talking to God. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of the things as well with uh, edibles is there, there's not always a, a very consistent dosage for them. So if you're going out and you're getting something for you, like, you know, you don't know how much it, how much is, is in that butter that was used to make it or in that tincture that was used. And um, right. there's not a there's not a consistent, uh, let's say, rating system for them or anything. No, and out here we're seeing a little more consistency, but with testing and people having some type. But the thing is, is and when you learn more about testing, you realize that it's hard to even call it. You know, if you take mm -hmm. a sample and leave it on the shelf, some of the chemicals that are in it, the cannabinoids, um, decarboxylate, turn into other chemicals, and you can test a sample a month later and you'll have higher amounts of THC than when you tested it the first time. And it's not because there's more THC in the sample. It's because there's less other cannabinoids in the sample. So the amount of THC makes up a greater portion of what's left. Do you get me? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so no. uh, 
the, the tests really are kind of arbitrary and, you know, used just for informational purposes in that sense because it gives you a comparison. But it's still, I think what we're learning now is it's really terpenes and volatile oils that are really what's truthfully really interesting because I think we've gone after THC and I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's the holy grail that that science pointed it out to be, you know, Merinol, for instance, which has been a legal pharmaceutical since uh, 86, 88 or so, uh, is just THC. It's just THC suspended in sesame oil and a gelatin cap. And it, a lot of patients don't like it. Even more interesting, when they descheduled it from schedule um, two to three, which they did in 99, July of 99, uh, they said that it, it was found and re- to have zero street market value. Wow. Nobody wants THC capsules. They're like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, you know? I think that's like incredibly fascinating though, because I think like to, most of the general public think that the type of the type of um, marijuana that makes you go veg on the couch is directly related to THC, but it has it has nothing to do with it, is what I, you're saying. Saying is no, it's a synergistic effect of various cannabinoids that we don't really know <laughs> how it works yet. I mean, the more I learn about cannabis, the more I, I feel I hear myself saying, "Wow, you know, it's amazing what we don't know because we don't know a lot, and it, we're going to learn so much in the coming years. It's going to be very exciting, and I, I, it's hilarious to me because being an advocate for so long as I've been." You know, it's funny to watch the world change and come to not only accept but to understand something we've been advocating for so long. Do you ever feel like you're you're uh, in in mythology, Cassandra? She she prophesized and nobody believed her. Do you ever feel like you're you're that character where you've been you've been telling people forever, no no no, this is this is what it does, and it's just been a really long time falling on deaf ears. Um. Yeah. In many respects, I do. I think that people. Um, in many respects, I think that, you know, it, it, I would like to say this to that effect, though. A lot of people haven't had the opportunity to learn the things we're talking about, because if you look back at our history, one of the biggest contributions Jack Herrera has given our um, culture, if you will, is that he went, it, do you know of the video called um, Hemp for Victory? Have you guys heard of that? Uh, no, I have not either. Okay, well, it's a 14-minute film made in 1941 by the United States Department of Agriculture. You can see it on YouTube now. And uh, it urges American farmers to grow hemp for victory because the with the Asian-Philippine markets cut off due to World War II, there was a, there's an irony here because in 1937, the American government stepped up and they said that we couldn't... Um, oh, hon- they They said that we couldn't... Okay. They said that we could. <laughs> no worries. Okay. That, no yeah. worries. They said that we couldn't. Um, they said we couldn't grow hemp in 1937, and they banned the American farmers from doing it. But what it seems like the American government did, when you look at this propaganda film that they put out, was they immediately started buying the canvas that they needed for the for the soldiers, because all the old tents and the boots and the everything canvas was U.S. military was made out of hemp, and they immediately started buying their hemp, not from American farmers and supporting our economy, but from Asian Philippine markets. And the American government didn't turn around and, and, and look for any support from its own farmers until we were knee deep in war and we and their little their foreign markets got cut off. And it angers me because I think when you look at all of the poor American family farmers that have lost their farms to taxes and not being able to compete in an industry that allows, you know, rice to show up from Russia at less than, you know, it should show up from Nebraska when you're in Ohio. And it's subsidized in a way that kills us all, puts us out of business. We don't shop locally. Honestly, it really irks me. And what happened was is that Jack got his hands on this film, Hemp for Victory, and he started giving it to reporters as an example of basically um, hemp's usefulness. And he gave it to a Wall Street Journal reporter, and the gentleman did his due diligence and called the U.S. Department of Congress, the Library of Congress, and said, I need a film listing. They said, we don't, we never made that film. And he called up Jack Herron and said, you know, you're a liar or a cheat or something because you gave me false information. Jack said, no, I did not. He said, well, 
they have no record of your little film, Hemp for Victory, about hemp. So the government didn't make this. It means someone like you must have. And Jack got pissed, and he went all the way to Washington, D.C., to, to, to the Library of Congress. And he walked in, and he looked it up, and in the microfiche, there was nothing. In the computers, there was nothing. And he got uh, frustrated, and he went outside to smoke. And he thought, wow, there wouldn't have been no microfiche in 1942. There wouldn't have been no computers back then. And he walked back in and said, hey, if we had come in here in 1942, where would you have pointed us to see to look up stuff? She goes, oh, we have these old books. Did you throw them away? She goes, no. He goes, can we look in them? She goes, well, you can, but it would be in the microfiche if it's in the books. And he went, I know, but can we look? So he went and he looked it and he found it in two locations because it seems like our genius government overlooked its ability to actually edit that into our own American history when they were digitalizing files. Wow. So That's they crazy. Emitted, they emitted this information. Jack had to copy it with them, certify the copy, and then Jack Herrera had to then resubmit it to the Library of Congress so that they would then enter him for victory, U.S. Department of Agriculture, 14-minute black-and-white film. Yeah. Oh, my that's so crazy. This is an example of the government trying to actually steal your history right out from under you, steal it to, to hide it from you. And, and this is where it gets sickening because when you look at the financial influences of – our government, when you look at all the lobbyists, when you think that we just spent two billion dollars to re to reelect, and you know, ugh, and 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 it's sick because at the end of the day, Obama and Romney were a billion dollars in the pocket of how many companies each? Right. Yeah, and, and having the, to do a whole lot of favors to get that cash. And, and the, this is where America's been for so long, just in the pocket of lobbyists who all step up to our congressmen and women, and when they say, what do you think about marijuana? They think, oh, no, 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 no. And it doesn't matter if they're a pharmaceutical company and don't want to compete with medical usefulness cannabis. It doesn't matter if they're a tree company and they don't want to deal with hemp for paper because you know that one acre of hemp is equal to four acres of 20-year-old Douglas fir trees for the same amount of paper. And would you want to know where I found that out? Where at? Oh, 1914, United States Department of Agriculture's pulp bulletin, urging like, farmers to use hemp for paper instead of cutting down trees. Was That's, that not in the microfiche? <laughs> um, and, you know, this is where it gets really angering because, you know, when you think about how our history has been omitted away from us, and, and this is, you know, it's been stolen. Your history your has been stolen from you. And, you know, I get really a little annoyed because, you know, you see all this gun violence and you see all these, you know, go happy gun people that are like, yeah, I'm going to defend my guns. They're not taking away my guns. And truthfully, they've already taken away your fucking flowers. So big badasses are like, yeah, I'll take my guns. It's like, dude, they already robbed you. You have no financial independence. Your economy is in the hole. You have to buy everything you get from a foreign country. The gas in your Bronco comes from 9,000 miles away. When it could come from your neighbor, when the clothes on your back could come from your neighbor, when the things you need could be created in your very own community. It's just that they have prohibited the one plant that you used to use to make all that stuff. Yeah. And no one stands up for it, man. Everybody's like, yay, they'll pry the guns out of my dead hands. Well, you know what? They will after they starve you to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's interesting, man, because we have so many issues, whether it be with growing food, uh, fuel, um, clothing – paper and like all the hippies want to save trees but like it's it's just like you never hear somebody say you know save a tree and grow some hemp or um just anything like that like if people really knew what hemp could do for us like it, we could end this silly uh silly corn fuel uh stipend that the government sends to farmers and i mean especially in a place like ohio where we have like some of the best farmland in the world but we can't even use it to grow the plant that can help us the most no, and, you know, I've had long conversations with a couple of our Congress people, and, you know, I was telling Maxine Waters, I said, why do you let the DEA run around? And I actually didn't say it like that. I said, you allow the DEA to run around and eradicate cannabis from North America because you say it's not indigenous to our continent. And she said, yeah. I said, okay, then, then riddle me this. Where would it come from? Why is it here? And she looked at me like, and her eyebrows went up, and I said, you've heard of covered waggings going west? Yeah. What were they covered with? Canvas. Okay, do you know where canvas, the word canvas came from? came from cannabis because all the farmers were growing was cannabis because they needed it for all their clothes. You, I was talking to Maxine Waters at the time. I said, you know, rumor has it you're black. 
you should know some history about American slavery. So what were the American slaves working? What plant were they working for the first 280 years of slavery? wasn't cotton, I'll just tell you that. They weren't <laughs> plucking cotton until about 1790 on because they didn't have the machines that would actually process it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. When did uh, when did the decorticator come about? Because that's what much, the much later the hemp decorticator didn't come out to the end of the 1900s. And part of the problem with hemp is that it was such a hard crop because it took so much physical labor to produce. That's that was a drag. Yeah, that's why we need the slaves. Yeah, that's 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 incredibly fascinating. You want to know why? Because the first slaves is you know no disrespect to my black brothers and sisters, but they weren't black. The first slaves were white. They were indentured servants that came from Europe to get the hell out of Europe. And you know what? That didn't work out so well because the white slaves that came over from Europe were lazy MFs and didn't want to do nothing. <laughs> so they were like, whatever. And that shit was not working out so well until the Dutch showed up with Africans who, you know, uh, as we know our history. But yeah. it was, it, you know, it, it's, it's the truth of the matter is, is that because of the labor, the intensive labor involved in trying to build a country, it, you know, would have taken a lot longer without the help we got, you know, and, and, and the reality is, is that they had to do all this work because North America didn't have the hemp. And without the hemp, you didn't have all of your basic commodities. When you stop and think about paints and varnishes and ropes and riggings, and I mean, you can't think of a horse and carriage without ropes. Yeah, no, you, you, you definitely know? can't. You know, I mean, and and then even further, once we got a cotton gin, we were not using cotton for a ma majority of our industrial cloth uses. We didn't have cotton sails or cotton ropes. Heck no. No cotton tents. We had canvas tents and canvas ropes and canvas sails because that was the only stuff strong enough. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes that makes sense because, uh, I mean, like Henry Ford built a, a car bumper out of hemp. Um, he did. You know, the first thing the first engine was. Oh, the yeah. first diesel engine was designed to run on vegetable-based fuels, and if allowed to happen, you know, all these trucks on the streets and tractors in our fields would have been part of the ecosystem because they would have used a fuel that that pushed the plants, that grew, that then grew the fuel that powered the machine that actually turned the fields and pushed the plants that grew. So they would have fit it in, and when they took out the vegetable-based oils and they stuck in petrochemicals, yeah. All of those small that all of the the small population of people that had control of DuPont and the oils, they got really rich. And now we always hear that you know what, 99% of the wealth is in like the hands of you know 3% of the population. And the yeah. only reason that is is because y'all don't have hemp anymore, and y'all can't grow your own fucking independence. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is because if 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 everybody grew hemp and all of your industrial needs came from vegetable-based oils and vegetable-based fuels, and instead of cutting down forests for trees uh, and paper, we cut down hemp. Well, then all of that money would be distributed among the people that were growing the plants. Instead, it's distributed by the, the few sheiks that sit on top of, you know, the oil baby Jesus put under the Arabs. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why, like, I'm kind of all about, you know, just rise up. You know, it's not about, you know, defending your rights to your death. It's like, yo, you know, vote with your dollar. Walk in, you know, and, and, and not, not eat McDonald's anymore and watch how fast they would fold. You know, start yeah. making decisions you know that actually help your neighbors you know stop going in restaurants or supermarkets that don't support local farms or labor you know fuck you won't give you my money if you won't support my neighbors and watch how fast things change and be powerful you know we all can make a real big difference if we if we make little bit of changes in our life speaking of changes and everything um uh, other than where we spend our money what what are some of the things that we can do on a local level to help uh get hemp and and cannabis and other things legalized and what what do you think we can do on a more national level as well well i think you know as they always say you know think globally act locally you got to start by educating the people around you and a lot of it is is honestly starting to educate yourself and and from there, you can be inspiration to others and you can, you know, change the mind of humanity by changing your own mind. And there's a great quote that I love. I put it everywhere. And it's it's that <clears throat> the greatest obstacle to discovery is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. That and is an amazing quote. Very powerful. Absolutely. 
And I think that that's what is the matter with hemp. It's because when people think they know when they won't take the time to really learn. And if they did, they would be astonished. And uh, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, who wrote Marijuana Reconsidered and who wrote um, Marijuana the Forbidden Medicine, uh, once made the joke that, you know, marijuana per se is not addictive, but learning about it quickly becomes. Yeah, that's very true. That's very and, true. You know, on the local level, I say, you know, try to get access to your politicians. Try to talk to people and try to, you know, if you will, um, spread good knowledge because that's really what we need to do we we need to go to our city leaders and our mayors and our, and our police chief and our cop friends and our firemen friends and everyone we know and be like hey we have to think differently and uh depending on what your interest is i mean because cannabis is such a diverse topic that i think anybody doesn't need to really look at all of it they just need to figure out what they're passionate about and see how it applies to cannabis yeah you know it's almost any any field is touched by this. And when you start looking into fields that you know, and it's suddenly an, it's astonishing. I mean, uh, you know, it, the most probably fantastic element of cannabis that I think goes undiscussed, but I think is the most um, impactive potentially for all of humanity is the nutritional benefits of hemp seed. Um, could you hold on one second? Oh, yeah, yeah not absolutely. a problem. Yep. There okay, we go. Back on. Yes, sir. You were talking about uh, the nutritional benefits of, of hemp. The nutritional benefits of hemp are astounding. Um, I met a doctor at the United at the Los Angeles uh, UCLA, and uh, her name was Dr. Roberta Hamilton, and she got involved in the nutritional research of hemp because she went to Africa and she encountered children that had no earlobes because they weren't getting enough protein in their diet, and it really ravaged her and she came home looking for a source of common protein in a simple seed that she could then send back and help them with food and while she was researching this uh, she had the essential fatty acid compositions of hemp sent to her and initially she thought uh, it was a hoax because if you are to look up hemp food you'll find out that it has more digestible protein than even soy. It's the highest source of protein that we know of other than soy. It has a complete balance of essential fatty acids. Nothing else really does. Uh, it has a perfect balance of linoleic to linolenic oil, which is why people use flax oil. And unlike flax oil, it has it in the right ratio. So you won't, like flax oil does, develop an, LA, uh, an essential fatty acid deficiency. Um, and EFAs are super important because in the 40s and 50s, we learned that we needed vitamins and minerals. And in the 80s and 90s, we learned that we need essential fatty acids. And, you know, for me, being a kid that was sick, I think a majority of our degenerative conditions are basically based on the fact that we, for the past 80 years, we're not getting... Um, we're not getting EFAs because the first thing to go when we're processing our food is, is essential fatty acids. So everything you got that has been flash pasteurized, homogenized, heated up to any degree is basically void in EFAs. And the more we started eating nutritionally void food, the more we started getting sick. That's interesting. I mean, that makes a ton of sense, especially with how prevalent um, or prevalent. Sorry, I don't know how to talk. Uh, how prevalent uh, type two diabetes is now and obesity and everything like that. And it. It totally makes sense. It's, I mean, and, and I think a lot of that also has to do with like how much we embrace corn and throw that in our diet versus hemp. Well, I would argue that a lot of the reasons why people are obese is because of malnourishment, not overnourishment. It's because the foods they're eating are nutritionally devoid of the vitamins and minerals and EFAs that they need. And um, yeah, and, and look at what it's doing to their bodies, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. and, and this is really what I... You know, as a kid, I really suffered, and I had to, to, to do a lot to get healthy again. And um, for me, at least, I didn't want to get sick again. And so I, I was really open to trying to find ways to get healthy and such. And, um, and <clears throat> I was open to change. And, and when I started learning about the benefits of hemp seed nutritionally, I was blown away. And fortunately for me, I had a UCLA um, professor teaching me about it on the uh -huh. side. And, 
you know, her attitude was is that this is really going to be uh, like a miracle plant when people understand the true value of it. Because when you understand the, the, the problems we're having from eating wrong and, and having a malnourished diet, she said this is something that could, you know, help us all. And not long ago, hemp seed used to be a, a staple in our diet. People ate it all over the world. And it was there was an interesting story on BBC America a while ago, and it was about this tribe a uh, tribe of people in China that actually all live to be uh, centurions. And at the end of the story, the one interesting thing the BBC reporter says before he goes out, and he says, interestingly, also, the tribe uses a type of cannabis seed in their diet. <laughs> and, you know, and what he doesn't realize is he just said, and they've been eating EFAs and a balanced protein for all their whole life. Yeah, I mean, aren't the... Um... Like, what kind of proteins, like, do we lack, like, are there, are there any, like, let's say we weren't eating meat, would we be lacking in any proteins from just eating hemp? You know, when I was a kid, and I, that's some of the first baloney that I learned about vegetarianism, and <coughs> truth of the matter is, is <coughs> meat's not even a great source of protein. Um, when you, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, guys, I shouldn't be smoking and doing your podcast. Oh, no, you're oh, fine. No, that's, that's your MO, sir. We like it. I typically <laughs> smoke. Oh, we'll just say. <laughs> I typically smoke and do our podcast too, so it's okay. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, well, uh, let me tell you. The uh, I'm trying to find the little chart I had for <coughs> hemp foods. Um, EFA, maybe. Yeah, there it is. Um, protein comparison of various foods, which is really interesting. Um, on top is soybean at 35%. Dehulled hemp seed is called hemp nut, or it, think of it like a, it has a peanut that's out of its shell. Um, that's at 31%. Hamburg beef, 27.1%. Fish, 26 Cheese, 23 Chicken, 23%. And uh, so when you stop and think about this, there is no meat that has more protein than hemp seed. And uh, the more incredible thing is, is that it's it gets down into aminos and amino acids. And when you start looking at the amino acid comparison of hemp foods compared to things like mm, humans' milk or cow's milk, it blows it away. I mean, the numbers are in the the the, the tens instead of in the singles. Um, it's it's really quite astonishing. There's a great book out um, called the Hemp Nut Cookbook. And it talks about essential fatty acids in your, your diet. And it's awesome. I mean, a lot of people right now are using fish to get their EFAs, that it's a good source of GLA. Well, per ounce, uh, 28 grams, one ounce of, of salmon. And now salmon, for instance, Chinook salmon or Atlantic farm salmon, uh, they're the highest source of GLA. And they have about 500 milligrams per ounce. Hemp nut, like that dehulled hemp seed, 2,500 milligrams per ounce of omega-3. That's Five insane. times the amount from the same 28 grams. That's insane. Um, it's insane. And the problem with the fish and such is that, and, and this is the thing, when you look at that, there, there really is no EFAs in meat. And this is the problem. When you start cooking your meat, it's, you're, you're effed because now what the main thing that heat does is it destroys your nutrients. So what ends up going down is you end up – picture it like this with a, with a steak, especially if you prepare it and you do all the cooking yourself. It's like walking up to your bank with $100, but they charge you $125 to process your $100, so they hand you back a bill for 25 bucks. That's interesting. And when you go and you eat your 100-calorie uh, steak – you, for instance, get taxed by your body 150 calories by, by the time you've chewed it up, digested it, and then, you know, wasted it out. And you actually have less energy than, than when you started. And this is why a lot of food, that when we eat it, tires us out. It's not yeah. giving us energy. It's kicking it, our ass. That makes sense. Are you, are you a vegetarian, Todd? I pretty much am. I mean, I, I, I occasionally have ahi tuna because I just like the taste of it. But yeah. <laughs> I, I gave up I gave up chicken and, and, and steaks and such a long time ago because when I started looking at food five-dimensionally and looking at food for, you know, other than, you know, ooh, steak good, you know, make mine bloody, 
it was like, what has it given me? What am I getting out of this experience? And and I realized that I'm I'm getting a shitty deal because when you look at a majority of our diseases, they're linked to meat. So I and and people tell me well, I like meat. Well, you're gonna love the cancer ward. You know, it's <laughs> what kind of trade off is that? And 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 so to me, I'm a product of science. I am a godless heathen. And 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 I pray to a molecule, I guess, and <laughs> and I I, I was, monster. dude, I'm down. I'm cool that you know that. That's <laughs> I'm that. a pastafarian, my friend. <laughs> hey, dude, that's hilarious. I love it. And um, <clears throat> so I see so you get me too. And uh, and I think the truth <laughs> that we that realistically, this is a huge huge element. And I mean, really, when you talk about it's funny, like pseudo spirituality and stuff. You know, this was our connection to the planet, man, on so many levels. This is what grounded us. This is what, you know, we grew our independence. I mean, I wish all the gun nuts were just as enthusiastic for, like, real freedom and real liberty and knew their history. Because it's not a Second Amendment this country needs. The Second Amendment, truthfully, shouldn't be for guns. It should be hemp cultivation. Yeah, that's that's that makes you want to talk sense. about independence, financial independence, security, the ability to protect yourself, feed your family, uh, clothing. Who would you unless say? you're robbing, it ain't a gun that's going to get you all that. <laughs> who, who would you say, or or what? Which companies would you say are going to be the the biggest influences that are keeping it? Uh, and that are, yeah, and spreading that misinformation. Like this. I mean, when when you when you realize this, when you when. Every alcohol company in existence doesn't want to hear it from cannabis because, you know, we're non-addictive. We don't have a hangover. You know, it was a group of liquor distillers back in the 30s that made the film Hemp for Vi- uh, that made the film uh, Reefer Madness. Mm-hmm. That's... And I don't know if you know that. I, I was yeah. on CNN International once and I was clicking away. And that blew my mind because it was like a, a the federal government, a church group or a group of liquor distillers. And I, I picked the wrong thing like twice. Because I was like, really? <laughs> a group of liquorists? That's smart. You know, that was a, you know, if you were making whiskey, you'd be like, get rid of that weed. Like, how, and, much, uh, how much do you think, like, uh, like the the mafia or anything would have to do with? I'm not even sure when they when they ended the prohibition of alcohol. <laughs> but like, the mafia ain't trying to grow no weed. Yeah, growing weed takes work. Yeah, and I don't mean to sound like it did, but but you know what, man, it ain't. It, it, I I don't know a lot of like you know. Uh, want to be gangsters that actually want to work yeah i mean not to be cold but you know you, you say work all day they go oh come on yeah you know go be a farmer yeah you might as well just say go shoot yourself there's probably some gangster listening thing that motherfucker i put in 60 hours a week <laughs> the dixie, <laughs> dixie mafia you kid. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but you know the, the the reality is is that not only are the alcohol companies against us so aren't the pharmaceutical companies because they know what's up and then on top of that so are the petrochemical companies because they know what's up they know that hemp competes you can make fuel out of hemp three different ways you can squish the seeds and make an oil you can mix that oil with lye and it makes biodiesel you can actually take the herds uh the, the cellulose turn it into ethanol or methanol and you can go run a fucking dragster yeah, Seriously? that's that's crazy. So it's not like there's performance problems here. Then there's the paper companies too. Of course, and now and this is really the issue. You also got the cotton industry. They don't want the competition. We're growing cotton now. So it's you just know? it's like a collaboration amongst. It's wait, a convergence of interests that are all making money off of the status quo, and this is really why I think education is the key. And I think that we've got to really get through to this because the politicians are going to keep listening to these people as they write checks. You know what I'm saying? Because they can't afford to run their campaign without it. Where I think we'll see change is when politicians realize that they can get more votes by supporting cannabis than they can by going against it. Because we didn't hear much out of the White House against medical marijuana in either Washington or Colorado. Because if you go look at the statistics, you know, Obama, marijuana, Prop 64 got more votes than Romney. And and Prop 64 got almost more votes than Obama. So if Obama had come out against 64, he could have disenfranchised as many people that actually voted for him. That's crazy. Maybe right. Gary so Johnson they're going to get to the point where they, re- they realize their money isn't even worth anything. They're going to have to get on the side of the people. And I think that if we educate one another and the side of the people is on freedom and liberty, they're going to have to give us freedom and liberty, man. They're going to be screwed any other way. And it's not going to be by the tip of a gun that we take our freedoms. It's going to be by intellect. It's going to be by intelligence. You know, there's no two ways around it. 
Yeah. So really for people is just start, you know, writing personal letters to our congressmen. Start learning who their politicians are. Start trying to educate the people that they elect, you know, and don't vote for assholes, you know, no more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, go out of our way to to elect someone who's not going to do it. I think one of the things that speaks volumes is you're going to see these pharmaceutical companies and you see the the oil companies and they donate a shit ton of money. But they don't just donate it to one party. Oh, no, they they donate it to both parties, candidates. You know, it's the Republicrats, man. It's just one big messy party that just plays volleyball with our freedoms. Yeah, I think. Oh, no, no. Like, I think Jesse Ventura says it best where it's the the Washington Wrestling Federation. And then he also said politicians should wear uniforms like NASCAR does just so we can see who their sponsors are. That's a beautiful one right there. I love it. You know, Jesse Ventura is cool as shit. That's really great. You know, there's some good people out there, you know, and I think we got to learn who they are and support them. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, you know, run yourself, you know. Yeah. It, it, so many ways we can make a difference. You know, find it, you know, it sounds funny, but 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 voting with your dollar has got to be one of the most powerful ways to vote. I mean, that's the only way that really makes sense anymore. I mean, I don't even think – I mean, I, I really doubt our voting even mattering, especially on national levels. Well, you see Chick-fil-A where uh, – I mean, there were giant protest groups and then there were lines just going because people wanted to give them support. And then there Well, you know, I think it's sad that we have such a confused American group because it's like – when you look at all the people that go out and don't want to talk about responsible gun ownership, you know, because, it, you know, it's like we have all this crazy shit happen with guns. And then, you know, you see these rational people that are like, no, about guns. And it's like, dude, all we're saying is responsible use. And you can't even get to that point of conversation with them. They're so fucking, you know, foaming at the mouth. And it's like, get real. Did and I was just going to ask, I mean, I kind of respect it. Sorry to cut you off, but I kind of respect it just because it's like, you know, we're not going to give an inch because we know they'll take a mile. I think that's... It's not true, though, because they've already taken a fucking... A lot more than a mile, my friend. I mean, and the truth of the matter is, is they take away amendments all the time. You know, alcohol prohibition was a freaking amendment. <laughs> we repealed that amendment because it was so stupid, and people didn't go around killing people with whiskey bottles. And, <laughs> and I, and I don't want to sound weird and all, but you know what? You're not going to take on the federal government, dog. You know, there's a whole lot of them out there, dude, and they got a whole lot of guns. They're friends with the people that made the guns that y'all went out and bought. Yeah. <laughs> and they buy their guns by the fucking pallet. You know what? And there's no restriction on the ammunition they pick up. So anybody that thinks they're going to, like, grab their 38 or grab their 12 gauge or they're going to go grab their home home-brewed AR-15 and they're going to go do something, they're going to be dead in the street. And the reality is, is that, you know, you're going to see, to me... To me, it's fake machoism because it's like, really, get real. It's like a gun owners should be the ones that are actually arguing for responsible gun ownership because they're the ones getting a bad rap because people like the lady that was shot in Connecticut, she was a legal gun owner. Her kid fucking shot her in the face with her own weapons. That's yeah. brilliant. Because you know why? Because he had access to guns he shouldn't have had access to because she was what? An irresponsible gun owner. And that's what we should all be talking about because really it's not about – if you want to get right in, right down to it, we're not going to remove 300 million weapons from America right now plus. where It's just not going to happen. Yeah. But truth of the matter is we should all be more concerned that the guns don't fall into the hands of fucking psychotic 19-year-olds or 20-year-olds or whatever that kid was so they can go shoot the doors in at a local school and kill our kids. Yeah, maybe the government you know, can sell them to cartel it, members. <laughs> like or give them away Yeah, with Fast, Fast and, and Furious. furious. Oh, you know, and it's weird because I think truthfully, you know, it's my opinion, but we do encourage violence on every level. We have all these Christian puritanical pricks running around saying sex is bad and banning tits and ass, but you can have Rambo on frickin' prime time. You can have 19 people killed in an hour television show, and that's totally groovy, but not one person can fuck. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. You know what's funny about Columbus is it's actually legal for women to go cut their grass topless in the city of Columbus. But then if you go to a strip club, the strippers have to wear pasties. It's it's so fucking crazy. We're a free country. And you know this kills me too because, you know, I've been to a lot of places in the world and we ain't even in the top ten of free countries. Not even close. Right. It's not even close. When you compare civil liberties, we ain't even in like the top 15. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, if you go to Europe, like I know like Prague is one of those places that you can pretty much do anything. I mean, everything's pretty much regulated. Um, if you're not hurting the personal property of another person, it's pretty hard to get in trouble in Europe. 
Correct. Yeah, correct. I do think it's weird. Something I kind of talked to you yesterday about is I do think it's very strange that they mix tobacco with their cannabis. And I just well, it's it's out of tradition because they used to have hashish and you couldn't you know you you didn't have cannabis so they used to put their hashish in with their tobacco to smoke it, and now um, now they have you know they just kind of replaced the hashish for their strong cannabis and they did that because they're all they're all nicotine addicts you know and I mean it's funny because now in Holland it's illegal to smoke tobacco but it's legal to smoke cannabis in places uh, just like here in San Francisco they did a smoking ban except for medical marijuana. Yeah. In public places, you know. So now you go to a 49ers game or whatever, and the only thing you should smell in that air is ganja. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, guys, it was nice talking to you guys. I, I thank again for having me on your podcast. And um, hopefully, let's do it again sometime. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yes, time. please. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy your dinner. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. You have a great night. You do the same. Thank you, sir. I'll All get right. you later tonight. Thank you, Todd. And emerges from nothing, cause I'm the forgotten. The mule that got caught with two keys in his bottom. We don't owe him, we don't know him. Poetic justice with no poem. I study my art till I'm blue in the face, man. No time to waste, my heart's on the plate now. The soul and life force dancing on the timelines. These ain't rhymes no more, they're straight sermons for urban suburban Babylonian contours. Roaring up raw. Songs of war to drown out the police and they tracking device. Hey, brace better mind how they mangle the ice cause they transmit and receive. Best know the beast will listen. Throw your glisten as they strip your assets. How vexed that are, but you are playing a part in your own damn demise. You money grips need to get more wise. Shit high, pump chest, and step right to it. Choices, there ain't no choice but to pursue it. Shit high, pump chest, and step right to it. Choices, there ain't no choice but to pursue it. Pursue it, pursue it, pursue it. Strong now.